Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. My guest today is Melvin Rhodes from Michigan. He's originally from the United Kingdom and has appeared here on The Cubic Report twice before on historic days. One dealing with the Queen Elizabeth 70th Jubilee celebration and the other with the resignation of Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. But today is Historic Day, which is the day that Queen Elizabeth died. And I thought this is a day that we need to talk to Melvin, who is from the United Kingdom, who has the heritage of that country, understands it very well. And I wanted him to be able to share some thoughts. So welcome to The Cubic Report, Melvin. Thank you very much. We have spoken to you twice before, and you have given us some amazing insight. How did you hear about the death of Queen Elizabeth? What are some of your thoughts? Let's get right into it. I came home at about 1.30, just before 1.30, and when I turned on Sky News, it was the first thing that they mentioned, that she had died. I'd sort of been expecting it, because it mentioned this morning that the family was going to Balmoral to be with her, and that was the first time in my life that I heard of all the family going to see anybody when they were sick. So I thought this must be more serious than than we thought. Yes, I uh, also saw the news yesterday about the fact that she was declining and sounded like declining quickly. The, the way I heard about it was I was sitting here in my office and a friend of mine from Germany, Yasmina Elowa, called and said, the queen is dead. I thought, oh no, that, that's, the, that's the news that we've been dreading to hear, and here it is. So, well, the first thing I, s- I thought to myself was, I've got to call Melvin and be able to get his impressions and background. Go ahead, Melvin. I was surprised because uh, only two days ago, you had this picture of her meeting with the new British Prime Minister, and she seemed like she was uh, uh, getting better. So I was surprised that this news came today. Yes, I, I saw that the Prime Minister always comes by. I've been following Liz Truss in her uh, campaigning with the other candidate on Sky News. And uh, well, so many things have happened here. Boris Johnson is gone. Liz Truss is in. Uh, 70th anniversary for Queen Elizabeth and now Queen Elizabeth's death. So there are so many things spinning here. While we are all expecting this, she was 96 years old. I believe, and started her reign in 1952. And I believe she's the 39th monarch to reign on the throne of England, that it's a very, very, a very significant monarchy in itself. And that's what I wanted to talk about, Melvin, what's going to happen in the future. I know that the monarchy has been a very stabilizing force, even though it's not a military power, (laughs) and it's ceremonial in large part. And after Diana, there was even talk about dismantling the monarchy. But I just feel right now, with the death of the Queen, there's going to be uh, kind of a revival for the pride of the country. What do you think? Well, first of all, I would say don't take too seriously any suggestions that the monarchy would come to an end. Because England did get rid of the monarchy once. That was in 1649. And then there was a republic for 11 years. And that republic became a dictatorship. Nobody wants to go through that again. So I don't think that would ever happen. But, you know, it was interesting, a few months ago at the Queen's Jubilee, she was on the balcony of Buckingham Palace, and the next three generations of monarchs were all there. Uh, Prince Charles, Prince William, and Prince George. I think things will be 
stable, they will continue for at least that period of time. And that takes us through the next century, really. Understand one thing, that when Queen died today, but realize that just two days before that, the prime minister was replaced by a new prime minister. So not only have, they lo have the British people lost a monarch, they've also lost a prime minister that they had gotten used to and for which there was quite a bit of support. So it's a, an uncertain time. Well, it seems to be that way. I feel that the way that the reaction came from Germany, she said that everybody was tuned in to their uh, radio or TV and uh, following what was going on. So it's not just a monarch in a country like Denmark or Sweden. And I'm sure there will be a huge funeral. And this is going to be now uh, broadcast. There will be a lot of speculation as to what the future will bring. Uh, yes, I think so too. There's going to be, I think it's a morning, and then they will have the, the funeral. So it's going to be a time of adjustment, but we'll get an idea as to what the new king's going to be like pretty quickly. Well, Charles has been in the waiting for a long, long time. I mean, this is, <laughs> you know, I'm sure he's wanted his mother to live and all that, but he also wanted to be king for a while. And so now, that, now here he, he will show himself. Sometimes a person who's in waiting or a crown prince acts one way when they are in that position as crown prince, but then when they become king, and I've seen this with other types of leadership, when somebody becomes uh, in charge, so to speak, that they become somewhat different. What are your thoughts? I hope that's the case, because Charles has expressed his views on some political matters in the past, which is totally unacceptable for a king to do. I mean, one of the great strengths of the British monarchy is that the, the monarch stays out of politics, and this helps unify the nation. If Charles continues the habit of expressing himself on political matters, could head for a, a constitutional crisis. I mean, for example, a few weeks ago, uh, he made a comment about the plan to deport some of the asylum seekers that have been crossing the channel. Uh, the plan is to deport them to Rwanda. And Charles uh, expressed the opinion that that was quite unacceptable. And that is not his job to do that. But it seems like uh, there is a certain power in the monarchy. And that's, that's one thing that I would like to kind of turn my uh, next question into, is Queen Elizabeth really supported or upheld the dignity of the monarchy in spite of her family, in spite of the failings of uh, some of her children and their mates. She upheld the monarchy sometimes to the anger of people who were reacting to her cold-heartedness towards her family. Can you maybe express a little bit of your thoughts about her character and the way she dealt with her role? I think the Queen does have character. She is very much a product of her age. As it happens, my mother was born just a few days after the Queen was born. Whenever I tried to understand the Queen, I would look to my mother because my mother's reaction to things was pretty much the way Queen would react to things and vice versa. Found that interesting that, I mean, she, she was not an emotional person. A lot of people interpret that as she is cold, but people in her age group and those in the 20s and 30s were not emotional people. 
They didn't express themselves. They didn't uh, show affection to their children, for example. The queen didn't show affection to her children. Now she can be accused of neglecting them, but at the time, that was the norm. That was the way everybody was. What do you think will happen now? Which shifts will take place in the monarchy with Prince William and Prince Harry? And what's happened there? Do you think that there'll be any changes there? Well, maybe the two boys will patch things up. I don't know. I'm not as... I'm not very sympathetic to Harry and the course that he's taken. I don't think he should have done that. I blame his wife to a great extent. I, I think the whole thing is going to end badly. Well, we'll just have to wait and see what, what this does. I wonder what world reaction to this will be next to just normal expected condolences. I don't know. I mean, again, uh, the Queen's death today may change the world's reaction may change what's going to happen regarding uh, William and Harry. I don't know. But Harry made it clear that he didn't want to be a part of what he calls the firm, and he withdrew himself from it. I don't think there's any road back for him at all. Do you have any comments that how this may, may play out? Well, I think it's important to realize and remember that Charles's reign is going to be a short one because he's already 70... 374, he's not likely to live more than, say, 10 years. William then would take over, and William would reign for maybe 25, 30 years, all being well. So I think you should look upon Charles's reign as an interim reign, that hopefully he will have the sense to continue what his mother has been doing. But I think where we're going to see a change is in the Commonwealth, because I don't think Charles has been all that interested in the Commonwealth, so I don't think its importance will continue as it has done. That'll be a sad thing, I think, because I think the Commonwealth has done a lot of good for the world. Well, you know, you, you have lived in Zimbabwe and you lived in Ghana, areas that were under British control. I have worked in Zambia, Malawi, you have done business in those areas, you know, where we have worked with legal, uh, entities. We've worked with uh, officials. You know, English has become the official language in those areas in spite of the la other languages that they speak, but that came from the British, it came from the Commonwealth, and certainly what has happened there, and even the system of justice in those countries at the higher level, at the official level, is based upon British common law. You know, we, had, we worked with a case that dealt with uh, us having to hire attorneys, and it was interesting to talk about how they were handling the legal proceedings was by British common law. And in, in the courtroom, you know, the judges are wearing wigs. I mean, it re really was amazing the extent of the uh, influence from the United Kingdom, not only in content, in substance, but also in appearance. It was really, uh, truly amazing. And in your last podcast, where you talked about the Queen and about her legacy of 70 years reigning, a reigning monarch, you mentioned how much of the empire, or the British Empire, the Commonwealth, if we could put it, uh, kind of evaporated. Please give me some comments about this again. In the 1950s and 60s, Britain decided to change the way everything was and, it, and change the empire into the Commonwealth. 
So instead of nations being ruled by Britain, uh, they became independent with their own government. And, uh, you know, some of them kept the British system of government for a while, but a lot of them became uh, uh, dictatorships. Fortunately, that, that has uh, eased up a bit, but uh, even so, Commonwealth is not the same as what the empire was. So there's a distinction between the empire and the Commonwealth. I know that Australia, New Zealand, you know, when World War II was there, in World War I, the empire conscripted men from those areas. But now, of course, none of that really applies. Yet they do have a connection. Their flag holds British tricolor, you know, the, the, the British flag. So there is still a very, very strong brotherly, if not sentimental, attachment. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I think it is, more than anything, a sentimental attachment. We've been together for a couple of hundred years. We like each other, so let's continue getting together whenever we can. That's pretty well what the Commonwealth is. That's what I felt even in countries that don't have the same racial lines, that there was a brotherhood in Malawi, Zambia, and I'm sure that you know that from Zimbabwe, Uganda, Ghana, that uh, uh, that is very, very strong. And they have been able to be very influential on the people in the countries that they served. And the people over which they ruled didn't necessarily look upon them as exploiters. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned those three countries because they were actually a part of one country in the 1950s and early 60s. They were the Central African Federation. A lot of progress in the country in that part of the world was made during that period of time. And then it fell apart because of African nationalist feelings. And a lot of the countries went into uh, a lot of corruption, despotic rulers, economies going to the pits like they have in Zimbabwe. A lot of bad things happened after the empire fell apart. Yes. That's true. And I think that's fairly universal. The only countries that really did well, nations like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, they got their independence a lot earlier. They did extremely well. Well, you go to those countries and you don't even think that you're in a foreign country. <laughs> you know, everything is so, so uh, like in the United States or the Great Britain or the United Kingdom. That's true. Yeah. Melvin, at this point, just kind of talk, talk some more about things that you might have in your mind about uh, thoughts, impressions? Well, you know, I, uh, I think it was on Tuesday that the Queen met with Liz Truss, who's the new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. It's a formality, uh, but she has to ask the, the Prime Minister to form a government. And that's why they met on Tuesday morning. But the Queen did one other thing after that. That was she sent a telegram to the Governor General of Canada expressing her uh, sympathy for the 10 people who were stabbed to death by a couple of people in Saskatchewan. And that, I think, was her last act before she died. And I think it's kind of shows something about her that she was thinking about something like that. It's not an important affair of state. It's not an important political development. But she thought about that and wanted to send that telegram before she died. I think I was touched by that. I was 
I'm always amazed, impressed by people in power, so to speak, who really do care about people locally. It seems that it's more than just somebody writing a card for her, but it was something that was out of deep concern, and I appreciated that too very much. I was surprised to learn today, because I didn't know this, that the Queen had met Eleanor Roosevelt when she was a teenager, I guess. She's also met with 13 U.S. presidents. The only one in her reign that she did not meet with was Lyndon Johnson, who was preoccupied with Vietnam all the time. She's had 15 prime ministers in Britain, but if you include all the countries that she is queen of, She's actually had 180 prime ministers, which means that <laughs> she, know, she probably knows more about politics than most politicians do. Well, there's another person that she met that we knew in Malawi, and that was uh, Esther Chilopora. She was a nurse, and she was the wife of Dr. Chilopora, for whom LifeNets had built a clinic, and we got to know them quite well. And she studied medicine in the United Kingdom, and he studied medicine in France. At one occasion there, when she was studying, they invited a group of nurses to the Queen's someplace, you know, there in London, uh, a garden party, so to speak, a tea, which was held for nurses. And Esther Chilapora was there, and that was a huge event for her. She would talk to us about it over and over again, about being there in the presence of Queen Elizabeth. We've heard a lot of stories like that today on TV, uh, with the coverage of uh, uh, the death and the funeral arrangements and so on. Uh, I don't know whether the funeral is after the 12 days or what, so that would bring us up a week on Tuesday. It'll be quite a few days before the funeral. No. Then it'll be a few months before Charles gets crowned. Oh, really? So they won't... Uh, it's not one of these things where the Queen is dead, long live the King? No, that is what they say. Queen is dead, long live the King. But coronation always takes a few months to plan. Yeah, and I'm sure that that will be a big event, probably. Probably a big event, but not as big as the last one. Hers was bigger because at that time Britain had its, its empire. So I think Charles's will be a scaled down coronation. It reflects the fact that the country's got serious financial problems right now. Charles has to set an example of cutting back wherever he can. You know, when Queen Elizabeth was coronated and she gave her speech there, I don't remember everything, you know, from it, but I was just very impressed by a young lady, you know, she was in her 20s, as to how serious she took to the office. You know, she's, like you said, she's a person who doesn't express emotion, but she's just very, very straight, straightforward and earnest in the things that she said. And it was just always very, very impressive uh, how she spoke and actually how she acted out or she performed in her being queen. I think one thing is interesting, you know, the, the nations of Northwestern Europe, we've always thought were the descendants of modern Israel or the descendants of ancient Israel. The nations of Northwestern Europe, most of them are constitutional monarchies. That seems to be the preferred system of government, whether you look at Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Holland, Belgium, Luxembourg, and Britain, and all the offshoots of Britain, like Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, and so on. That is the preferred system of government. That has enabled those countries to enjoy a great deal of political stability. 
I tend to think that political stability may be coming to an end because of the problems that have developed over recent years. You know, for example, people are going to be a lot poorer because of the raging inflation, because of COVID, uh, because of the war in Ukraine, because of energy. They're going to be quite a bit poorer. And that is going to lead to all kinds of political problems. And I think that's when the queen will be missed because she was really, uh, she was very much a stay calm, carry on person. I feel like that's what uh, the British monarchy, and particularly under the stable, long reign of Queen Elizabeth, passed on to the world. It wasn't, like you said, she outlasted so many prime ministers and presidents and all, all, all those huge number of people. What the empire brought, not that we look to an empire as being an all-answer because we do believe in a coming government that will be perfect as compared to anything here. But I do believe that the British Empire had a system of jurisprudence based on common law that was established in countries all across, all around the world. And that really impressed, was impressed upon me when I said we had to deal with some legal matters in Zambia in, in particular. I was just very impressed as to how the attorneys uh, regarded the law and what it was based on and how even cases would be tried. So that was there. Also, the fundamental base of that even common law is based upon the Ten Commandments, is based upon the Judeo-Christian ethic. That has been something which has brought really down the bottom line prosperity to those countries because people shied away from corruption or at least knew it was wrong and brought some goodness and when people got away from that when they exited when they no longer recognized the british influence that's when they started going south yeah i think uh, i think that's true i mean when, when you think about it the countries that britain ruled they had a similar system of government to ancient israel you had the king and you also had the the high priest the two of them basically ruled the country. In the British system, for hundreds of years, you had the king and also the archbishop ruled the country. The, uh, eventually, that archbishop became the prime minister. But it's a similar system, and that, that has worked very well. It probably is a bad thing for one man to have too much power. Well, I know that uh, that type of thing made people accountable, made people accountable. It's amazing how many things were said with spiritual overtones and far more than spiritual overtones but it, that they appeal to god to lead and direct the country i'm not sure how much that's going to continue but i know that under queen elizabeth i was amazed as to how many proclamations you know invoked god prayed to him and recognized him her father during world war ii called for a national day of prayer and fasting during uh, you know throughout the empire I've got photographs taken of the, the crowds that lined up outside major churches like Westminster Abbey for that day of prayer and fasting. And you wonder, you know, what happened? Because it's not like that now, but it was like that. Yes, for, for certain, right now, we're far from that. It's post-Christian, and it has been for some time. Well, it would, it would be a good idea if they would uh, pray and fast again with all the economic problems that they've got right now. 
because probably the only way out of those economic problems is to turn to God. Well, I watch Sky News like you do, and I know that they are all trembling a little bit about the cost of fuel, the cost of heat this winter, uh, how, how that will be manipulated by the Russians. There are going to be some really big problems for the United Kingdom, as there will be certainly here too. We, we just, I don't think we've seen anything yet. Right. Yeah, ne next year, 12 months from now, things could be very different. Well, here's a final comment that will please the ladies. Comment was made today, the women make the best monarch. The, the person referenced Elizabeth I, and <laughs> Queen Victoria, and Elizabeth II. Mm -hmm. They were long reigns, and they were all done by serious women who really took their job very, very seriously. Well, everybody's going to have different opinions on that, of course. Maybe women do have the sensitivity which is needed for the job better than uh, men do. But I think it's going to be interesting to get back together again in a few months and see how Charles is doing. Melvin, I really do appreciate your insight on this podcast. You always add a lot of things to your podcasts are listened to by a lot of people. Thank you. We thank you, our listeners, for joining us here today for The Cubic Report. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocketcaster, as well as many other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar by simply typing in the words The Cubic Report. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions for this podcast. So write to us at vcubic at gmail.com. That's vcubic at gmail.com. V-K-U-B-I-K at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.